0: Hello and welcome back to episode 2 of season 3 of the Cloak & Dagger podcast. I am Patrick Courtney and I am joined as ever by my co-host, Will Davis-Coleman. Hi, Patch. How are you? I'm good. I'm grand. I'm really enjoying the fact that we have changed our series. We are now doing Cities in this series 3 and I think it's going swimmingly so far, although it's just been me so far so it's a bit arrogant <laughs> for me to say it's gone really well
1: no but it, it was a great I really enjoyed last week's episode and this one I'm hoping can live up to your very high mark that you set
0: I'm hoping as well I'd be very disappointed if it isn't I might oh, okay. storm out <laughs> I'm taking a combative element this season I think I'm I think we've been too nice <laughs> to each other I think we need to be a bit more combative I think we it needs to be a set up like a rivalry between different decades same city but different decades. So I think my decade and my time period was the best. Okay. And you're gonna now think that yours is the best, and we'll let the listeners decide which one they prefer.
1: Well, we could do polls on uh, on Instagram. Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: That'd be a great way to put a strain on our relationship, wouldn't it? And we find out yeah. that one of us is liked way more. Maybe I don't want to do this. Actually, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to find that out. <laughs>
1: no, I don't need. I don't need it. It's all yeah.
0: good. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, So this is episode two. Uh, and is the part two of New York. So last week we were looking at revolutionary America era New York during the British occupation. And this week we will be looking at a different time period, World War II era New York, and we will be guided through history by Will. And <laughs> I, I, kind you of, I kind of ran out of things to say there. <laughs> by Will? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast please uh, rate and review us on wherever you get our podcasts, um, you can also follow us at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, which is our Instagram where we put loads of really interesting cool images about each episode so we kind of, we do a few different things but what's really helpful is that on the day of the episode comes out you can see all the images and you can get an idea of a feel of what we're talking about because you might see a painting of someone we're talking about or a city map which is something uh, I put up last week with the New York episode so you can really see the how small New York was during that time but there's loads of stuff that you just don't get from just listening to two guys chat about it and seeing it is is a whole different thing
1: and actually for uh, I remember one person got in touch to say that they didn't know how to access Instagram because they don't have a um, the app on their phone um, you can actually get onto Instagram uh, on the web which I didn't know until quite recently, you can just yeah. go onto a web browser and look us up. So um, if you have an internet connection and you don't want to get the app on your phone, you don't have to come to us that way. Come via a web page. Yeah, like that, just just, just like search that. us. Yeah, yeah.
0: You could probably still do it on your phone. Just open Chrome or Safari and just search Instagram at Cloak & Dagger Podcast. And I assume we'll just pop up and it'll be easy to see. It might say, oh, you should download the app, but...
1: I don't yeah. know. We're not here to advertise
0: for Instagram. We're not... <laughs> no,
1: we're really not. We're really not. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, Will, how about you take us away
1: with part two of New York? Said, in, listener. Let's do this. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so, uh, thank you, Patrick, for that. Let's get straight into wartime New York City in 1945. Um, before we dive into this one though just to let you know in the intervening century and a half wait is it century and a half yeah about 150 years between uh revolutionary new york which was ceded to america over Mm -hmm. the brits uh in 1783 since the uh, revolution happened really the us went from strength to strength in terms of building up their economy and Obviously, there, I'm, I'm really going to be slapdash with the history here, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it was a tale of pushing west, which obviously came uh, brought with it lots of issues to do with the Native Americans and mm. their treatment and the reservations and the Trail of Tears, and that is a load of history which I can't include in this because it would be too hard to tell. But to, to focus on New York itself, New York became a hub. It became the it was the capital um, under the British. It didn't actually. Stay the capital for very long because if you've seen the Hamilton uh, musical, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton uh, traded basically the city of uh, New York's capital status in order to get his plan through Congress. So uh, yeah. a new a new capital set up at Washington, D.C., which isn't that far south of New York, but it is a little bit further down. Yeah. Um, I mean, in-
0: if you're also just a historian, you might also know this history. You don't have to have watched the the musical Hamilton to know this. There's other <laughs> yeah, ways true. to know this as well. But we know yeah. it because of Hamilton.
1: Yeah. Um, but New York uh, became, the well, just remained the financial hub of uh, the United States. And in the sort of 1800s, you had huge uh investment in things like the railroad and the gold rush of uh down in nevada and all of this was bringing money back to the to the new york stock exchange and you had families like the vanderbilts and the rockefellers who were yeah, yeah. some of the richest people i think we've already mentioned on this podcast before some of the richest people ever in terms yeah. of their equivalent wealth absolutely the they
0: the are it, they are just hugely. I mean, we compared them. I think to the Medici's in Florence, because we were that's like, oh, right. they were really rich. Nothing compared to Vanderbilt and Rockefeller. Like they are, it's it's wealth on another scale.
1: Yeah, and where there's wealth, there is um, not really a trickle down. That's a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. That there is a lot of wealthy buildings within New York, and you start to get high rises being built. And th- I think the very first skyscraper was actually in Chicago and it was 10 stories high, which is absolutely tiny compared to yeah. how big some of them are now. Um, but that began a process by which the city just boomed and lots of money was coming into New York until the crash happened of the Wall Street crash in 1928. Oh, which, yeah, yeah. Um, fucked up everything. Um, and it, it showed a city that was both poor and rich because you had these massive skyscrapers and you had places where lots of people were sleeping rough in Central Park and things mm, like that. So mm. it was a real tale of two cities. Um, in that time period, though, uh, it really started the birth of the crime families that started to emerge in this time period. For where, Wherever there is squalor and desperate people, you will find organised crime. Absolutely, um, and yeah it's it's like it's like
0: in last week when we were talking about you know the the squalor caused by the british occupation birthed lots of crime and although they didn't quite have crime families because there was soldiers on every street it's a similar sort of thing in these in these desperate times and desperate situations crime yeah. flourishes like none other
1: yes but um new york did bounce back in the 30s and you had quite a lot of affluence and there was lots of uh, like broadway was having a, a real glow up there was a real golden age of that Um, And this was the time where the Americans weren't necessarily on the world stage still. They were still more isolationist and they were just having a great time at home, if you like. Now, that is a broad (laughs) brush I've just painted of 150 years of American history. And I'm sure I'm going to receive messages from people (laughs) all over the U.S. saying that that was all bullshit. But that's what I'm going for. And it's my podcast. So stay away. (laughs) <laughs> um, I like that
0: Aggressive attitude towards our listeners <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well you started it at the beginning of this Yeah I did um, that, yeah. But anyway yeah so uh, Coming up to World War 2 uh, Things start to get a little bit tight Because when the Americans Joined the war I think it's in 1941 Or it could be 1942 I can't remember when Pearl Harbor was But anyway whenever that ha- I think Pearl Harbor was 42. Anyway whenever it happened uh, Suddenly a booming city became a much more, tighten your belts, everything goes into the war effort. They mm. were financing huge amounts of uh, the European war effort as well as their own Pacific theater. So lots of um, loans and the Lend-Lease Acts were going on at this time. So there wasn't any money at home and everyone was who who could uh, lift a spade or work in a war office, they were all called in. and. Yeah it's into that New York I am going to start to talk. Via the walkthrough, as uh, Patrick mentioned last week, we're gonna do a walkthrough sequence for each of our time periods in the city that we're talking about that week. So let's get into it. So to take us through the streets of wartime New York will be Betty Lou Oliver. Now, Betty. Uh, this is uh, happening on the twenty eighth of July, nineteen forty
0: five. Now, can I say I think you're mispronouncing her name because if she's American, it'd be Betty. Like uh, you would, yeah. you don't, I, you don't pronounce the T. You're saying it far too posh in English, Betty.
1: Betty, Betty, darling. Yeah. No, I, be can't, Betty. I can't. Do an American accent. I'll leave that word <laughs> to you. <laughs> I'm not going to be ridiculed on the internet for having the worst sure, American sure. accent. Sure, sure. So Betty, <laughs> Betty was a now it sounds wrong now you yeah yeah now it sounds
0: real. well because it does because she wouldn't be called betty
1: (laughs) you're being too pronunciating yeah i'm sorry for my own accent i apologize (laughs) to everyone listening who's offended by it betty lou oliver was a 20 year old from arkansas so arkansas is a southern uh, so i think there's an arkansas accent it's quite a heavy heavy accent so she's not a new yorker Mm -hmm. but she's in new york because she is trying to do her bit uh, in terms of... Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure she's... <laughs> she's not really doing her bit. She, uh, she's working in New York because she can't find employment elsewhere, I'm guessing. Uh, so she's, yeah. she's living in rented accommodation in a red brick apartment block in Brooklyn Heights. If you know, if you don't know New York, in your mental mind... We'll put a, a map up on the, uh, on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brooklyn's in the southeast yes is that right yeah, yeah the southeast, southeast of manhattan island of yeah. manhattan island yeah so they're, um, they're down there and um she is living in as i said in a rented apartment uh, which she shares with a couple of other uh, pro- young professional women who are who are working the war has actually been quite good for women to uh, advance themselves in terms of being able to be accepted into jobs which before the war they, they might not have been able to have got into this is always mm. this also mm. happened in the uk in the first yeah, world yeah, yeah. and the second world war um but she was working as an elevator operator so like a bell boy i guess or a bell girl in this case bell um, hop? Is that what a bell hop is it a bell hop i think it's I it i don't know but basically yeah. you get into a lift and betty would be there and say she'd say what floor and then she'd press it for you and then give her a little tip at the end and it's a very it weird job because
0: it seems like it can be done it doesn't seem necessary at all i guess it's in it's in the affluent buildings it's it's a kind of show of prestige that you have a bellhop because there's no need for it at all the buttons there to be used by anyone but yeah. it's still a bit strange
1: very true very true now listen betty was still getting used to the city she'd only been there for about a year and she certainly i don't know how much she actually liked new york city because she grew up in rural arkansas which is really beautiful Fields everywhere. Quite a lot of horses. I feel like there's horse country. I've read that somewhere. Um, and so, <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a very dirty city, and it's not necessarily where she wants to like spend her life. Mm. It's not really her favorite kind of city. And to be fair, New York is in a very is in a state of sort of shock because the thing is, as I said, it's the 28th of July, 1945. So we're really at the very end of World War Two at this point, mm. and she is. Um, only there for a few a few more months, probably before she's thinking of going back to Arkansas and uh, going home, basically, because she has literally just got married and her husband uh, was drafted into the U.S. Navy and was away at war. But he would be returning soon. Oh. Everyone realized that this was coming to an end. This war, so yeah, you know, she was probably in a sense of oh, I'm ready to leave now. And the thing about New York at this time, as I say, was it's in a state of shock. So it's not the New York City of say the 1920s or the 1930s, where there's lots of uh, big Brooklyn, not big Brooklyn, big Broadway shows yeah. going on and, you know, lots of money, road paved with gold, that sort of thing. That's mm. not the New York that uh, It's a bit more of a
0: lifeless city
1: now. It's, it, it's, it's lost some of its glamour just because of the, the war and the, the people who've left it. Exactly. So to get to work... Betty would leave her rented room in Brooklyn Heights and caught, catch the subway from Fulton Street Station in into Manhattan. Um, she gets out at 34th Street, and if you get out at 34th Street today, you would be hit by a whole bustle of people. You know, that mm. it's a very crowded part. It's right in the heart of Manhattan. Um, but when Betty kept, gets out, she would have found it fairly empty. You might see a few... Uh, Brit- uh, not British, <laughs> American G.I.'s home on, on leave mm. uh, from the war effort. But apart from that, there wouldn't be that many people because over 850,000 New Yorkers have been called into service. So places like the Theatre District of Broadway have been practically co- closed for like three years due to wow. the threat. Of the f- well, two things. First of all, there's no one going to shows because... Rationing mm. is in, in, in effect, so there's no one. You can't afford to can afford play, it, yeah. But also, there was a real threat of potential aerial bombardment because the Nazis were um, still, they'd, although they were pretty much knocked out the war by this stage, they'd just invented V 2 rockets, and rockets were a new phenomenon, and they could fly at massive distances. Oh, so shit. There was a real like uh, air of we could be hit by something here maybe we'll get a new york blitz like the london blitz yeah so there was all this yeah going.
0: i guess they would have seen they would have spent the last five years reading newspapers with photography and shots of london and paris and all across europe of being utter desolation you'd be terrified yeah. that that could happen and new york would be the target wouldn't it really
1: yeah and manhattan so, um, the target
0: within the target
1: exactly yeah exactly um so that is happening, but also to, to on top of that, there was also a curfew across the city of 1 a.m., which was a whole hour later than the rest of the country, thanks to a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a bit of shifting, a bit of lobbying going on by New York's yeah, mayor, LaGuardia. So I just love how he was just like, no, New Yorkers need that extra hour because we're a city that never sleeps. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The city never sleeps. Well, the city that never sleeps until one a.m. and then we go to bed. Obviously, you know, it's, it's, we're not yeah. we're not madmen. We still go to bed. <laughs> is that LaGuardia? Because is that what the airport's named after? Absolutely. Named, yes. Airport was named after him. So oh, he was a
1: uh, yeah, he was quite a, a influential mayor of, of
0: New York. Wartime mayor, so the yeah, typically more popular. yeah. If yeah. they do a
1: good job. But um, because all the able-bodied men uh, were away fighting or being used in factories, this, gave, this meant that there were much fewer police on the streets, which gave the New York crime families much more room to breathe. And wow. with so many more people slipping into abject poverty, people are turning to crime. So it's actually a very unsafe city. Like you mentioned last week with the London Blitz. Um, no, yeah, during the London Blitz, crime went up. It's the yeah, same thing yeah, in yeah.
0: It's a kind of sad fact of war, and actually crime really benefits from war because people are distracted, soldiers and policemen are away fighting. You can just exactly. get away with anything. And yeah, like you say, there's more. the more people in poverty, the more crime will flourish because the people impoverished will turn to crime when the justice system can't save them. And if they can't make money from a you know, normal, respectable job, they'll just steal it.
1: So Yeah, exactly. Um so the mayor, LaGuardia, he had to actually ban begging in the subway because of a massive increase in that activity over the last two years of the God, war. That, that's such a weird thing. I mean imagine nowadays someone banning
0: homelessness. Like it's I know. just like like he's not fixing the problem. He's banning the symptom. Like it's a really weird well, it's w- the same today on to London at
1: tubes. You get um, things on Tannoy saying we've noticed there's a beggar on platform four. Um, just oh, please yeah. do, just ignore them. We're getting rid of them. It's really bad. Ugh, Creepy. But anyway, um, also uh, in the meat packing district, the meat markets uh, are, are becoming so desperate that the, most of the meat that's being sold was actually horse, because all Ugh. the beef and the mutton and everything else that was all being into, put into rations, which were sent off to you know army rations. They were so. If you were going to have a burger, it would probably be with horse meat, which is its just mm. showing, like, the desperation at this point. And war. World
0: War Two, not as many horses. Not World War One, where they needed millions and millions of horses. World War Two, they had tanks and cars and planes, so horses no longer was needed.
1: Yeah, so then they become your meal, I guess. Um, and also, uh, social welfare was also at an all-time low. Apparently, there were over 1,000 babies being abandoned at the New York Foundling Hospital each year at this point. Oh man. So people who couldn't feed their newborn babies, they would have to give them up. You have a a large Catholic population, so contraception is still a long way off. And so Mm. you'd have baby unwanted babies. So if they grow up then they don't know their parents, you know, it's all such it's such a problem. Yeah. Um, And it's a
0: cycle that makes it worse and worse. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the city is definitely sort of tense. That's how I'll put it. They're tense. Mm. Okay. So so Betty gets out at the subway, and she goes towards the largest, the tallest building in the world at the time, the Empire State Building. Nice. So that is where she works. She's a bellhop. Wow. At the Empire State Building. That's
0: a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, it, it probably paid fairly well. But um, I wonder
0: if you get paid more as a bellhop by number of floors. Because <laughs> if she is, then she's <laughs> the highest-paid bellhop in the world. It feels like it would be that. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, the Empire State Building, as I say, was the tallest building in the world. It had 102 stories. So it's a massive... 102. Damn. What a weird one. What a weird number to end on. Just do 100. It's cooler. What do they threw those extra two floors in there? (laughs) I have no idea, but it's a massive, massive building. Um, Mm. And it, it would have dominated the New York skyline, because nowadays you do have larger buildings. But even if you have been to New York, and I've had the privilege of being there, Twice, I think. Lucky me. Um, Brag but, about it. Uh, it's. I didn't mean to sound like that. But um, <laughs> it, it really still stands out. It's still yeah, a, a yeah. Real yeah. There aren't any other
0: buildings next to it that are like. I assume the Chrysler The buildings are probably the closest one that comes close to its height, but they're not really close to each other. So it's still. I imagine they'd never really put a taller building next to it because they always no. want that to be like a pinnacle and a really important part of their skyline. It's yeah. no longer the tallest building in New no, York. No 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 no, no,
1: no, no, no. I think no. the Freedom Tower is now the Freedom
0: Tower is tallest, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but either way, it is a massive building. You could have seen the whole of New York from the top. So um, regardless of it being a fairly good job, um, Betty is actually, this is her final day on the job, 28th of July, 1945. Oh, so nice. So she is recently married, as I said. She's 20 years old. She wants to go home. She's homesick. And um. home for her is Fort Smith, down in arkansas which has okay. a military base on it so hopefully she's probably hoping that when uh, her husband comes back he can then be barracked there and then they uh, can set up a life together oh you know, so that's
0: lovely wants to get out of the city the grimy crime infested city and go home to arkansas it sounds it's a very american tale it go is home to arkansas yeah
1: yeah so as as um, betty is thinking about those lush arkansas grasses and Little picket fence oh, yes. that she'll have with yeah, her, little American household, um,
0: little little Frank Junior running around. I've invented her husband's name is Frank, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so while she's thinking about that, um, she sort of looks up at the building before she goes in, and she notices that there's lots of heavy cloud and mist, as like a smog if you like. Um, yeah, yeah, that comes with these sort of cities in times when there's so much pollution. Um, so she's. There's something she's sort of thought about, um, but it probably didn't cross her mind that much because from the elevator, I'm not sure how much she can see out because I've actually, I'm have actually, i too scared to have ever been in the Empire State Building because I'm scared yeah. of heights. So I've uh, <laughs> yeah. never actually been in at the Empire State Building's elevator, but uh, she might have noticed it as she's walking in. As she's so walking, after, or maybe when it gets to a floor and
0: she it opens out and she can see a window, she can look out and just see yeah. nothing on the outside.
1: <laughs> exactly. So after a few hours of going up and down, up and down, getting a couple of tips, talking to her yeah, pals in yeah, the yeah. other elevator, you know, I don't know how, how you much You can't talk fun. between elevators, I don't think. No, no, no. You know, if you're getting out the same spot, you could just kind of say hi. Maybe she's got a break. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, she probably has Probably has a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's, uh, she's riding up to uh, quite a high floor, um, to about the, the 80th floor around about 10 to 11 a.m. around that time of day. Okay. And the, the low cloud has persisted, so there's not much to see. And um, as she gets up to that floor, that floor is actually owned by the, well, rented out, I guess, by the War Pensions Committee. So um, it's part of the war effort. And all of a yeah. sudden, her entire vision is taken up by a massive plane, a A bomber, a U.S. bomber plane, coming straight towards her, and she must have thought that, yeah. So she must have thought she was hallucinating at that moment. But basically, out of nowhere, out of this cloud, this thick cloud, comes an eighty-ton U.S. Air Force bomber coming straight at her, and it goes—it just goes straight into the building.
0: Jesus Christ!
1: What? Yeah, and she doesn't remember anything else she blacks out and that's the end of our walkthrough (laughs) oh my god what
0: what where did that come from i mean literally where did that come from Um, both the story and the plane but
1: a plane
0: crashed into the empire state building
1: yeah an army plane as well and an
0: american army bomber
1: yep yep oh my god what is I this story? Admit, I know. I have to admit, I couldn't believe I'd never heard of this until then. Until, yeah. Uh, until I started researching it. But yeah, so that's the end of our walkthrough. Uh, I'm going to now take you. Literally. Back yeah. To the, yeah. She's literally been knocked out, poor girl. Yeah. Um. So uh, I will now take you back to the beginning of this odd <laughs> tale. Good. And uh, let's see if I can make things a little bit clearer. So to start at the end, rather than at the beginning. And- um this bomber was a b25d medium bomber with two right r2600 engines so it's a massive fucking thing it's like 80 yeah. tons um Jeez. it's usually piloted by i think four or five aircrew um, wow. on that day it was basically piloted by one person so uh, oh, if you okay it's uh <laughs> which i'll get into but basically yeah. it it ploughs into the side of the Empire State Building at about the 80th floor the seven, i think it was the 78th the 79th and the 80th floor so you can just imagine how big this fucking plane big was.
0: enough it's 3 floors tall
1: yeah and uh, sadly it led to the deaths of 14 people so everyone on board died and 11 people um in the building also died wow. it, it, that's
0: quite that's, that's like miraculously quite low for a well, plane to crash into uh, the, into a building. Did it kill anyone? As it fe- did it land, did it like embed itself in the building, or it did it bounce did, off?
1: And then it kind of fell out,
0: <laughs> and no one <laughs> died a lot on the floor. I suppose uh, maybe if it took a while to drop, everyone underneath cleared out quickly, so no one got caught as it fell.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of it um was did d- disintegrate because it explodes when it goes in there, and then the bits oh, that were saved. Left- then there's some in the building, there's some at the bottom, you know, it would have been a whole thing. But the reason hmm. why the death count is so low, and thank fuck for this, it was a Saturday. So there were very few people actually in the office. Wow, yeah. So it really could have been nice. hundreds, yeah. if not thousands, of workers otherwise. Yeah, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Um, it caused a million dollars worth of damage. Um, hmm. But it was actually, uh, th- th- it didn't take them long to fix the building. I think it took something like six weeks. Um, wow! To do it, but uh, most of the uh, deaths came from the 900 gallons of fuel, which uh, which was obviously set alight oh, from the explosion. Oh God! So it was not a nice way to go. This wasn't a quick yeah. death. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Brutal. Um, so we'll come back to that, but I want to talk about uh, the, the person who's responsible for this uh, little problem. And to do <laughs> okay. that, we've actually got to go back to a day previous to this happening. Now. Okay. I'm going to introduce you now to Lieutenant Colonel William Franklin Smith, Jr. And I said that with such an English voice, but (laughs) he was also from the South. He was from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, And he was was born on the 3rd of June, 1918, which meant he was only 27 when he he died. And at that time, he was the youngest in the entire Army Air Forces, the youngest Lieutenant Colonel in the USAF. USAAF wow. sorry wonder boy um,
0: so yeah. high hopes for this guy i'm sure the brass were really excited and yeah it didn't he, go well
1: <laughs> he he looks like a proper sort of like dashing young mm. sort of flashman type you know like in um, black Flashard. like flash art yeah he's like he's like yeah, the american yeah. answer to flash art <laughs> Uh, he was a graduate from 1940 he was a 1942 graduate of the US Military Academy at West Point so a prestigious start. Yeah. And apparently he'd been a champion lacrosse player at the college. <laughs> so you can just imagine the kind of guy we're talking about here.
0: He was that he was a a, a you know, he was oh, he massively. was cock of the walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit of a kind of a Tom Cruise Maverick, you know. Absolutely Suave, good-looking, cool. <laughs> Presumably yeah. a
1: good pilot, although you know. Well, yeah, no, he, he, this is the thing, this is what makes it so remarkable, is he had completed more than 40 missions in Europe, like air missions, where he would have gone over Nazi wow. Germany, um, and with the 8th Air Force, that's where, where where he flew from, and he had been awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross with Cluster, and the Air, air Medal with Clusters, I think the Clusters mean, like, super well done. Like with honours, kind of, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and he was doing all this by the age of 27, which is currently my age so i'm feeling sort of like this guy was high achieving and very very uh it's weird to think about
0: that people in history who are the same age i mean we live in very different times like it'd be very i mean there'll be pilots our age nowadays that do that much hopefully don't end the same way but yes yeah it's don't get into a habit of comparing ourselves. It never turns out that well.
1: <laughs> but to give a little insight, though, into his character, he was clearly accustomed to being in command and in control of his circumstances. Um, mm. There was one testimony, in one testimonial, he was described as having a jaunty and devil-may-care attitude,
0: close quote. Well, so, there you go, proper they, maverick, yeah. He, maverick he really... before Top Gun.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, he um, he had a wife whose name escapes me, but she lived up in Boston. And the story begins with him flying this bomber to Boston to see his wife and pick up a couple of passengers. He is okay. also, uh, he. So he, sorry, I should say, he's home on leave. The, the end of the war is very close, as I was mm. saying. So in both theaters, the Pacific and in Europe. So it was coming to an end. And that meant lots more military personnel were returning to this part of the world the problem was that there was a real uh i wouldn't even say uh, no i would an animosity from returning u.s aircrew for the civilian flight traffic controllers in the u.s
0: oh okay so they kind of came home and thinking they could just fly all over america However, yeah. they want because they're these dashing heroes of the war that flew all over Europe, and yeah. now they're being told no, you have to go in these specific lanes. You can't go that <laughs> way. You can't fly over there. You know, they're really like stringent rules of air traffic control.
1: Exactly, and when this was a, this was still at a time before proper radar, so you had to listen to your air traffic controller because they couldn't track you properly across your flight. So they mm. had to keep you in radio contact. So it became even more important that they that you reported in where you were. Otherwise, obviously, you'd have significant crashes all the time, which wasn't yeah, actually yeah, happening. Yeah. To give the civilian uh, air traffic controllers their due, that didn't happen very often. But mm. um, the feeling was mutual. They didn't like these flashards who were coming back. Yeah, the yeah. Um, and also that the, the U.S. government still had enacted um, some war laws which basically said that any military aircraft with a legitimate claim can skip all the air traffic stuff and can land wherever they want. So they do actually oh, have legal backing, but it's causing real issues. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he is flying this bomber um, to, to Boston to basically see his wife. So I mean, this is what I'm talking about. He's not, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do that today. You so know, he flying. just took
0: his, so I assume this is his plane. I mean, in, like, not that he owns it, but like this will be the plane that he
1: was flying or was it just one he took it was just one he took actually he, it wasn't his it was just one that he happened i think he was he had to eventually land at a at newark in new york but he hmm. wanted to go and see his wife first so he flies he flies to new york the day before and so not new york he flies to boston the day before sees his wife spends the night and in the morning two passengers ask if they can hitch a lift with him to new york um, mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yeah, sure, that's fine. Um, just come on board." One was a flight sergeant, and was you know, they, they were both military men. They weren't just yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they were they, they were in the same they were... boat. They had the same cocky attitude towards <laughs> you know civilians and and civvy street and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, so the the plan was basically to leave Boston Airport and report back in New York to go straight to Newark. They wanted to fly from Boston to Newark and they wanted to take off at about 8.30 in the morning on that Saturday and arrive down um, so that he could report to his commanding officer by 1000 hours because that's how close Boston and New York are. Um, But the air traffic control in Boston wouldn't approve Smith's uh, Newark direct flight with an 8.30 takeoff time. Um, Right. Okay. Basically, because Newark was expecting far too much civilian airline traffic at that particular time to make room for this military interruption. Um, Mm. So they told him that he had to leave at eleven hundred hours. Now, if you tell that to someone who has spent the last three years (laughs) in full command of and control Mm. of his his of everything, um, you know, that's not going to end well, especially as he's meant to be reporting to his commanding officer at ten hundred hours. Um, so he comes up with a plan. Instead oh, of saying, "I know, I know, I know," so instead of saying that he is going to fly direct to uh, Newark like he he wants to, he's saying that he's going to fly to LaGuardia, which is another airport that we actually mentioned earlier in, hmm. in the New York area, um, so that he can then, um, well, he's not going to tell the air traffic controllers this, but he's going to fly to LaGuardia, not land and just swing round and just go across Manhattan and land at Newark. Wow.
0: So he's just going to pretend, he's going to fake out. He's going to go to LaGuardia and go, ha, psych, and just spin the plane round and fly over to Newark. Exactly. And then once he's in the air, I mean, there's not much, they. if he's about to land, they will have to get planes out of the way if they don't want a crash. So they're just going to have to put up with him.
1: And as I say, this is an 80 tonne bomber. This is a massive, massive. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. God, what Um, a dick.
1: I know, I know. So they take (laughs) off. uh, They get, Boston control to say yes to this basically and they take off. Now as he's flying down the east coast um, he will have noticed that most of coastal New England down all the way to New Jersey was blanketed by thick cloud with intimacy mm-hmm. rain and fog and apparently he said um, to uh, his wife in the morning before he left uh, and this is a quote, that it was an English day if ever I saw one <laughs> <laughs> because it's okay. such shit weather basically
0: <laughs> yeah 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 and he spent so long probably flying around england and like being uh, you know visiting so he's like yeah this is just i've
1: done this a million times i know exactly what to do here yeah exactly God. so he basically lies to the dispatcher and just takes off and off he goes and that, sorry the two people that he had on board one was a usaaf staff sergeant um, and, and and the other one was a Navy aviation machinist. So they were just catching okay. a ride. They had never flown in this sort of plane before, and so they weren't actually um, doing very much to help him, to, to help Smith. So, and, um, and this is like, like a six- super- to eight-person,
0: like normally six- to eight-person um, piloted plane, and he's just doing all on his own.
1: Well, it would have normally flown with a cockpit crew of 2 plus a radio operator and a navigator. So oh, there's I guess, lots he, of things to But do. he
0: knows New York, so it's he can figure that out, but he and he just doesn't have a co-pilot. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so he this thing that he's flying, as I said, it wasn't his usual uh plane to fly. So he had actually been flying um flying like a Cessna apparently or a Piper twin.
0: Oh man, so he's jet. not even
1: flying something he knows that well. No. So to I don't want to get into the jargon, but basically Smith's used to flying a plane which is eight times lighter than a B-25. And that'll be important later in this story.
0: Yeah, it's like if you've ever if you've ever driven, you know, your first car is this tiny little shitty Peugeot 206 or something and then you drive a massive like SUV type of thing. I mean, that's, you know, magnitude simpler <laughs> than a plane, but even that gives you the idea of you like, oh shit, this is a whole different experience. Yeah. And he's in a fucking plane.
1: I know, but as, as Smith is getting closer and closer to New York, the weather is just getting worse and worse. Mm. Um, at precisely 9.45, Smith shows up in his P-25 bomber right over LaGuardia, entirely unannounced. And you might be thinking, okay, He's coming in at what thousands of feet? Maybe he's coming in at hundreds of feet. Think top. Oh my! Oh my god! When he god. does those flybys at uh, the air traffic control. He's yeah, doing that, yeah. But not in a jet, in a fucking bomber. So it's a fucking massive thing. Jeez. Um. And at the time, uh, there were meant to be seven stacked up airliners waiting to land above LaGuardia. So just imagine, you've got these all these like seven planes to circle. Massive planes thing.
0: just you know waiting their turn, looking, and they just see this. Cocky, oh. fucking um, B two bomber just flying under them, speeding over, ruining all of their day. Yeah, God, and s- you could see why they all hated these military pilots.
1: Well, this is the thing: LaGuardia's uh, air tra- flight traffic controller ordered Smith to land because he basically wanted to throw the book at him because he'd violated mm. so many rules yeah. um, by doing this. Um, but instead, um, they they actually he basically told him to fuck off. So, LaGuardia then phoned the Army Flight Service Center, which is in charge of all military traffic, and mm-hmm. asked if they'd order Smith down. And the Army declined. So, like, oh. this goes all the way up.
0: Wow. So, they were like, nah, he's one of us. I yeah. don't care. Exactly. <laughs> I bet actually they were probably, I, it might have been the case of, like, you can't tell us what to do. How dare you tell us to tell our pilot? To land down, like, and they and they could have maybe thought they were exaggerating. It's like, no, this is a military trained pilot. Of course, he's not being idiot. How dare you suggest that? And he's, or like, they're, oh, they're oh, just like, or they're like, huh, great pants. You like this guy? <laughs>
1: <Exactly>. <laughs> also, he's a flight left. He's a lieutenant colonel. Like, this isn't like a sort of flying officer. A yeah. lieutenant colonel. That is sort of. That's one off the general yes, it, class. Like he is. It, it may have been someone sweet.
0: who, yeah, they called someone who's lower rank and went, "Well, I you can't tell him. Like, I don't want to get yeah. in trouble by telling my commanding officer to land a plane when he wants to be flying out like a maverick."
1: Exactly. So Smith then turns across. So he's got to go from west to east. Sorry, never return, east to west across mm. Manhattan, right? But okay. he's at hundreds of feet, which isn't very high at all. Rather, it no. should be about thousands of feet so he he uh, pulls up slightly and the thing is that he he does something which you're really not meant to do but it's called scud running and scud running is where you fly under the weather so that you can stay in contact with the ground and then maneuver visually and hope there continues to be enough space between the ground and overcast to allow that oh, so wow. he's kind of going in and out of the clouds like up and down so he can see So where he's it's.
0: so he's he's yeah he's He's directing himself not through some clever navigation technique by just looking out the window and going, "Yeah, I, I won't hit that building." Yeah, well, I, this I, is the I, thing. That's not quite what he does. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you can imagine it. This is a massive, massive bomber with twin engines, um, and there were several witnesses to this uh, this plane because he wasn't getting enough height. So, uh, the sound of the... Several?
0: There would be loads of witnesses, wouldn't there? I guess several that we know of.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Presumably the
0: entire city suddenly heard and noticed a plane dipping in and out of the (laughs) the clouds, heading straight for them. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, the sound of the bombers' massive engines rattled midtown Manhattan as Smith would... He broke out of the clouds across sort of the east side, which was roughly in line with 42nd Street, if you know New York. Um, he was literally apparently within the canyons of the building. So he's like going down because they're luckily quite wide streets. Holy shit. He's that low. He's not above these buildings. He's between these buildings.
0: So you could be in a building and like you could look down at the street and see a plane pass underneath you.
1: Well, this this is what happened. So um, one USAAF officer was in a room on the 22nd floor of the Biltmore Hotel. Uh, On 43rd Street, and he saw this B-25 thunder past below him, because he was so he was lower than than 22 floors. That's how low (laughs) he was. I imagine when
0: he did that, he looks out and then looks at like the bottle he's got in his hand and chucks it out and thinks, "I'm done with the alcohol now."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Others in office buildings saw a wingtip whip past mere feet from their windows. So they were working away, and they just saw this. as like, who would come in on a Saturday if this happened, you know?
0: I Um, wonder how hard it is to pull up. Like, in such huge planes, they need huge amounts of space to rise and fall. They can't nip up and down. And if he's used to a smaller plane, he might have been... I wonder what he was thinking at that point, whether he thought, nah, I've got this. Easy. Well,
1: this is the thing. So he is used to a lighter plane, eight times lighter. So this is an eight times heavier beast, and he's doing it on his own. And he's suddenly Mm. between buildings. And um, some of the witnesses noticed that he's actually put down his landing gear. So he's really fucked this up. Whether that might have mm. been a sort of slip of the hand, and a mistake, but this guy mm. is, as I say, a, a veteran of, of 40 missions. So he...
0: Or, or he can't pull up and he's thinking, maybe I should land. And I know it's going to be, <laughs> I'm going to seem like a massive prat landing in the middle of New York um but that's better than crashing into one of these buildings
1: well maybe he thought that initially but as he turns south down fifth avenue he's literally like Tur- <laughs> heard- turn south <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: What is he actually turn right yeah, shifts well, into well, a different road
1: the thing about fifth avenue is it's very wide so it's actually he's trying to avoid these narrow narrow blocks you know what i mean cool. um, and also
0: the traffic down there I and mean, he's got to avoid that i mean well, otherwise he- he's gonna be stuck there all day
1: <laughs> yeah, very funny. <laughs> um, but the, the wheels are actually slowly coming back up as he realises he's made this error. Okay, and because <laughs> he's like, shit, I can't land here. So he's pulling up his his landing gear and he's starting to pull back his his throttle so that he can start like arching up out into into hopefully open sky above him and mm. just pierce through this thick cloud which has clearly fucked him and and get out the other side. The problem is, as he's rising through this thick cloud, um, straight in front of him, and I mean, he would have had less than a second, maybe a microsecond to to realise his Mm. mistake, the skyscraper just appears in his windscreen, and he just goes straight into it, smash. And and then all hell breaks loose. So both of the um, passengers die on the impact, and their bodies were recovered quite quickly from the wreckage. Mm um but of william colonel smith's body there was no sign and so uh, oh. initially rescuers thought oh it must have incinerated in the it completely incinerated mm. in the crash mm. but actually that's quite a hard thing to achieve you yeah know, complete was, incineration yeah yeah um so and then they thought maybe he fell so they were looking at debris it turns out that his body was flung through the glass down an elevator shaft and was found at the bottom of one of the elevator shafts. Not Betty Lou's energy, mm. uh, uh, elevator shaft, but another one. Um, oh, my God. And so they found him down there, sadly. Um, and that was the end of the life of Colonel William Smith, Jr. Jeez. Um, I mean, it'd
0: be weird if it wasn't the end of the life, if he'd crashed a plane into a building, flew... I mean, th- what? A, I, wonder, I wonder if he was alive when he flew through the window and into the elevator shaft... Like such a weird, that's such an odd way you crash a plane, but you die from falling down an elevator shaft. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's quite an interesting one. Um, I suppose no one would know, yeah.
1: What he ploughed into was the 79th floor. So about half, well, two thirds of the way up the building. Um, and the as I said earlier, it was the offices of the War Pension and the War Relief Services and the National Catholic Welfare Council. So these are like, oh my god, nice people. you know? Yeah, like like
0: worst place. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah, not not the offices of some evil corporate empire. It's like people giving back to wartime veterans and Catholics and stuff, and he just crashes into them. Yeah, what a exactly? Twat. Um, Jesus.
1: To, so as I said earlier, that. The, the, the deaths were mainly caused by the burning gasoline so the first engine um goes straight through the building and falls 900 feet it goes straight through and out the other side and utterly destroys a penthouse art studio in a neighboring building
0: (laughs) why i don't know why i find that funny but it is kind of funny like this really like trend did anyone die or...
1: No, no, no no one died. Okay,
0: good, I can laugh. Okay, I feel better now. But yeah, like this really like cool, avant-garde, trendy art studio. I imagine, I don't know why, but I imagine the artist was in there like at a bar, like smoking a cigarette, drinking, saying something pretentious about art and then a fucking engine crashes through. Straight That sounds through. quite funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And destroys. Oh, and then he goes, oh, wow, now that's art. That's yeah. How I, that's how I've imagined it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, But the other um, engine and a lot of the plane f- um, fell down an elevator shaft. Not, I think there's several. There's quite a few elevator shafts in that building. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. It it managed to hit um, lots of the cables on on other elevators and damaged them. Oh no! I know. So um, just to bring the story round to Betty Lou again, Betty Lou uh, was hit. She was thrown from her elevator car on the 80th floor um, and suffered severe burns and uh, when the first aid workers found her, she had so Wait, had... She, was th-
0: she was thrown out of the, her lift?
1: Yeah. Her she lift was, box? She, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. She was oh, thrown okay. from so she, the she, impact. She, well, I suppose that's probably a good thing, because otherwise she could... If the cables have been cut... I thought you were going to say her and the box fell, which well, would be a death sentence.
1: Well, this is what this is the thing so she she has these terrible burns um and so the first aid workers are trying to help her and they think that um she probably broke her pelvis at this point as well from the impact so Mm. you know it's a massive massive uh, amount of pain but they realized she was going to probably survive so what they do she they placed her flat on maybe uh, not a gurney but like a makeshift gurney into another elevator car to transport her down to the ground floor Unfortunately though, oh, so these no. two carers get in with her. Um the cables supporting that elevator have been damaged by that other oh. engine and oh, they snapped. God. And so they fell seventy-five stories and Jeez. ended up in the basement. Um and somehow Betty Lou Oliver survives this. No way! They break. She's already hurt, and yeah. you, but she survives. Exactly. She breaks both legs. I think she breaks her back as well. I think she snapped her you'd, back. You'd think, at least, yeah. But she's lucky because the, the two first aiders both died. Oh, and, that's awful. And the, the, apparently the only reason she survived was um, some of the cabling, which had been severed, had fallen to the bottom. So it kind of acted like a spring on the bottom. Mm. So like
0: it may it, have been lying against it and it helped to slow slow it down a bit so it wasn't when quite when they when they impact little yeah, it wasn't
1: yeah. into the concrete floor which would have definitely killed her it was into mm. sort of a distorted bouncy yeah, not quite yeah. bouncy material, but you know, yeah yeah, like, like
0: it's it's heavy. It's you know, it's like metal cables, but if they're wound a bit a bit it would they would deep they would de- de- decrease. They- yeah Yeah. decelerate the 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 lift box oh wow so but she
1: survived but but she survives yeah she gets cut out of the the box which is just crumpled ruin and Mm. that must have been horrifying but she then this was her meant to be her last day on the job remember so she is leaving oh man but she she makes a full recovery i mean it takes i think five months for her to fully physically recover um, which is fairly remarkable. I mean, she's young. She was 20. She yeah. managed to go on to to marry her. I mean, she'd already got married, but she managed to. Mm. She, she got home to Arkansas, had three children, and ended up with seven grandchildren before dying in 1999. So she had a life that came after yeah. this, which is really great. Now, just to finish, I was wondering why haven't we ever heard about this event? Because mm. it was, you know, when you think of planes crashing into New York, you think of 9 yeah. 11, which is. Yeah, obviously a lot worse uh, in this case um but actually uh the reason why we don't know about this is that the the first atom bomb which hit hiroshima was dropped a week later
0: ah wow so it
1: overshadowed it and that's yeah why. yeah yeah obviously that's a it's really story you
0: know yeah 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 and i guess yeah, man, that is it's it's a whole different thing. I was actually thinking, I was thinking about um, Hiroshima because I was remembering, you know, that there's a story of um, the Japanese man who got hit by both bombs, <gasps> both bombs and. Survived, and I was, th- I mean? was, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I was thinking that about Betty is that she got, she was two hits. She got hit by the plane and dropped down an elevator shaft yeah. on the same day and survived both. And there's remarkable tales of people who, I mean, through some miracle. Or some freak luck are able to survive two freak, not quite freak, accidents. Well, one of them was... Events, anyway. Yeah, events. uh, Just through sheer circumstance.
1: But, you know, I have to admit, if anything was going to put you off or give you a sign that you shouldn't be living in New York City, uh, surviving... Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. I
0: bet she never stepped into an elevator again.
1: Well, she went back, I think, two years later. uh, She was invited back and she got into her elevator car and rode it. So she must have had real guts.
0: Yeah. Brave woman. Yeah. Oh, good for her. Oh, what a a great
1: heroine. So I leave you with uh, a very fortunate young lady and a very unfortunate and probably a bit stupid lieutenant colonel who
0: massive twat die. of a man who killed a bunch of people because he's an idiot and was too cocky i mean i yeah. can't think there's any i mean unless there's more to this story that he did it for any other reason than to brag about
1: the fact that he flew through i think New it was York a mistake and, i don't think he meant to yeah th- and then he was trying to correct it but unfortunately he wasn't used to such a heavy plane yeah And i think but he also that meant
0: he meant to trick air traffic control and, yeah. and because for all they know they might have said no you can't do that the fog's too low you're in too heavy of a thing they could have helped him but he was too full of himself and thought he could do it and he got how many people did you say 14 people 14 killed. yeah including himself yeah. which is incredibly yeah it's incredibly lucky that he didn't kill more people i know i know and it? yeah
1: it's- it's a tragedy for sure, but it's a, a very interesting story as well, with a little bit of a completely hope
0: bizarre. And I cannot believe I've never heard of it. And I imagine <laughs> if any of you listening have ever heard of it, let us know, because if it must be, there must be some uh, story. Surely, if you go, I've been up the Empire State Building, and I'm sure there they have whole. Be. They have whole sections where they talk about its history, and I yeah. do not remember that at all. Maybe I be It must, wasn't be. It must be in there.
1: Yeah. Um, it actually, to this day, is the the world record for surviving um, the longest survived elevator fall. Oh, really? I don't think anyone's going to break that. To be honest, no one's trying I, to. Do I it. hope no one tries to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, that's our story for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, next week, yeah. Patrick is going to be taking over again, obviously. Yes. And, uh, introducing well. us to a new city. So, Patrick, what's what's coming up? we
0: are shifting across the world and across the time the time the history across history is probably a better (laughs) way to put it um to the ancient and glorious city of alexandria in northern egypt which is a really interesting city that's both it's half greek half egyptian half roman which is great (laughs) maths but it's this really amazing kind of city on the edge of the roman empire on the edge of egyptian civilization that has such an interesting history and founded, we've both by, a taken, <laughs> founded by founded by a macedonian uh, and named after him because you know as as we've learned from this story history is full of arrogant idiots who cause a lot of deaths and love to show off and that's kind of what alexander the great was and yeah he named the city after him <laughs> so yeah i'll be taking us through uh some uh, kind of an ancient story um, uh, of Alexandria, and then followed up by Will taking us through a, I think, slightly more modern uh, <laughs> story from Alexandria, but we'll save that for another week. So thank you very much for uh, listening. Uh, we very much hope you're enjoying this new series uh, and this new cities. If you're from New York and you uh, listen to these episodes, let us know uh, if you enjoyed these episodes and if this is history that you didn't know about. I'm sure I'd be surprised if you hadn't heard about the coal aspiring, But if you've heard about this plane crash in World War Two, I'd be amazed because I'd never heard of it. and. I don't think even they say it in Empire State Building, which is odd, but But still
1: fun. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we will see you next time. See you next time.